My name is Abby Atkinson and this is Don't Let Dave Win, the podcast that explores mental health and that negative inner voice that we all have within the world of the arts industry. I am joined this week by actor Mona Goodwin. Mona is a new mum and she very openly chatted to me about how the industry can be more supportive of new mothers and also about how motherhood has made her a stronger advocate for herself. We had a wonderful discussion about side jobs and how creatives need to have less shame in that, about sexism within the industry and about how the more conversations we have on mental health, the more good people we'll retain within the industry. Hello, thank you so much for being here and agreeing to be on the podcast today. My pleasure, thank you for inviting me on. Anytime. So um, I like to start every podcast episode with a bit of a check-in, um, just because I feel like the things that we're going to be discussing can be quite personal, so good to see where you're at today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you could describe in two words, how are you doing today? How am I doing today? Well, pretty hot. I uh, don't know when people will be listening to this, but it's boiling today. And I am a little bit knackered because my baby son isn't sleeping too great. Um, but I'm generally really excited to be here actually I'm really interested to talk about the issues today so I'm feeling pretty pumped as well nice Very that's nice. three words isn't it Abby I'm sorry <laughs> no it's all good it's all good um yeah no it's it's warm isn't it it's mm-hmm. hard to sleep in this heat so I'm yep. feeling the tiredness as well but yeah very excited as well so yeah I'm gonna start by asking you do you have an inner voice that tells you you're not good enough I mean yes uh absolutely i mean it's an inner voice that's so sort of constant and part of my total inner dialogue all the time that i don't think i would give mine a name i think it's just mona it's just sort of part of me that which sounds terrible but i mean that's the truth i mean absolutely especially since being in this industry i think it's almost impossible not to Mm -hmm. um let me know if you find anybody who doesn't (laughs) yeah yeah so far everybody's been a hard yes yes absolutely yeah it's interesting because like for me I found it really useful to give it a name to kind of have it be sort of this other being I suppose I think it's a brilliant concept I think you're so evolved to have thought of even doing that I need to maybe you know take a leaf out of your book and uh, give it a name because I think it's really important to do that and have those moments where you check in and separate the anxiety from you know, your real sense of self-worth. Because I think they, they can get very easily confused. And especially when you're an actor or you work in these kind of creative arts industries, it, it can be very difficult to separate what's you and what's the work, you know? Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, would it feel too alien for you to give it a name? Could I push you to give it a hypothetical oh one just well, why did you Why did you choose Dave? So it just seemed like a bit of a... A, a bit of a silly name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no offence to any Daves who might listen to this. Mm-hmm. But also, I think mine sounds like quite a male voice. I think it sounds like quite a oppressive, sort of deeper voice than my own. Like the one I sort of hear is definitely not my own voice. Um, so I think it was just a name that felt very removed from me as well. Yeah. Okay, what would I go with? Okay, I think mine's quite a female voice. That's interesting when you've gendered it. Um, I'm going to call it Joanne. Okay. I, I used to want to be called Joanne. I think there was a character on Grange Hill, I'm aging myself here, <laughs> called Joanne. And I thought she was really cool. She actually had like a real drinking problem. She wasn't cool. But I think <laughs> I thought she was cool. So maybe she was sort of an embodiment of what I thought I should be. Ah, okay. So let's... Let's call it Joanne. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. So sort of pressure to be someone you're not. Yeah, well, she was just cool. I thought she was better than me. She was cooler than me. So I wanted to be like Joanne. And I mm-hmm. think that's, you know, sometimes part of that little internal voice of like, you know, you could be better, you could be cooler, you could be sharper, you could be more successful. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing in acting, isn't it? Const- the constant comparison to other people, sort of, you know, feeling like you've got hit a certain milestone at a certain time or whatever compared to your peers perhaps for sure and I think that's the case in you know so many industries and so many careers I think what's 
unique about being an actor in that sense is that you're just so alone. You work totally alone, like you don't really have a team or an HR department or uh, anyone to sort of give you a, a sort of monthly check-in on your progress. So you only have yourself to measure yourself against and that can feel really lonely and also send you into some crazy loops of self-comparison. Yes, um, for sure. Yeah, and it's so much of the job is about self-promotion now and, and self-marketing. I mean, that's new from when I graduated drama school and and that in itself, you know, is is such a difficult thing to do to remove the actual reality away from, okay, I'm going to self-market, I'm going to sort of publicise myself in social media and that's a choice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, can you do that and also keep a distance from it to keep your own sort of mental well-being? I think it's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, what was your experience of drama school? Um, so I had a really good experience of drama school. I went to Mount View in 2005 and for me I have like nothing but beautiful memories really I met my husband there I met my best friends who are still my best friends to this day many of which don't work in this sector anymore but we've retained such strong friendships because of going through that experience Mm -hmm. together I mean coming from Stoke-on-Trent Staffordshire Moorlands area and moving to London in itself was already such a huge shift it was such a class shift, everything. I think I needed somewhere where I could feel I was with some similar people. I think I felt really at home. And it wasn't that kind of tear down, build you up um, mentality. I think that did exist at a couple of places still when I was at drama school. I hope it doesn't now. But Mount View is very much the opposite. It, yeah, I had a really positive experience. Nice. There. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, because yeah. the emphasis should be on yeah not the sort of break you down to then build you back up the way we want you to be yeah did you always know you wanted to act um no i can't i can never really pinpoint the moment really there was there was a program on tv when i was younger and i actually looked it up in preparation for this podcast because i couldn't remember when but it was 1994 and it was a program called the biz and it was uh, it was a children's program it was on cbbc or whatever about a fictional drama school, a fictional stage school. I remember thinking that was really cool. And Paul Nichols was in it and I thought he was gorgeous. So I loved that programme. So that was probably the first time I ever even knew what a drama school was. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I'm from, like, that's just not what people did. I didn't know any actors. So it was just something that didn't... It wasn't on my radar for a long time. I wanted to be in the police. Okay. I was really adamant about that. And I was really serious about it. So I was about 17. It was my teacher at school and um, we had a fantastic drama teacher called Sally Hansel who kind of encouraged me and said you know you should think about going to drama school but even then I didn't think I was really thinking about being an actor I just thought my god drama school would be so mm-hmm. cool I didn't think too far down the line it was um, a case that my teacher she was my tutor so we had tutor groups at school and I just got placed in the drama teacher's tutor group um, you know it was my relationship with her really that just kind of sparked inside me the joy of being a performer then I sort of realized I had some ability and then I used to kind of I don't know she used to coach me really for drama school I used to babysit her kids and as payment she'd coach me for drama (laughs) school auditions but you know my mum would take me down to London and we we didn't know what we were doing we were totally green and yeah I, I feel like really without her I never would have gone down that route I have nothing but gratitude for her for encouraging me because I'm not sure I ever would have had the knowledge or the courage to go for a career like this if it hadn't mm-hmm. been for her. Mm-hmm. And my parents' support. that yeah. you know They were like, just go for it. Nice. Because, yeah, same. I, I knew nobody who had chosen to take this route. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, luckily my parents were very supportive as well but also knew nothing yeah. <laughs> about the industry and what I was sort of getting myself in for. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have done it if I did, so <laughs> I don't know. But I think there is an element of truth of that. You know, it, it is hard and mm-hmm. if you really knew what the struggle might be like later down the line, maybe it would have put you off and it shouldn't put people off because otherwise we won't get people coming into the industry from different kinds of backgrounds. So... Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely can be for sure. Um, yeah, so do you, you've kind of touched on it. Do you ever doubt whether this was the right industry for you? Um, yes, I do. And that's probably most days. And I think that's really good. And I say that 
really wholeheartedly I think it's important I think you as an actor should always be open and questioning and curious and wonder why you make the choices you make and what's driving the behavior that you do I think that's part of being a good actor so if you're not sort of questioning your own actions and behaviors and choices then perhaps you're not in the right mindset to be a good actor so I think it's really good to question it all the time Obviously, you don't want to be in a state of constant emotional instability about it, but I think it's something you should keep in your mind. I think also a lot of people stick at it when they're unhappy and feel the fear of quitting. Um, My husband was an actor and he changed careers. He's now a a chef and very successful, but, you know, I I went through that process with him of him leaving the industry and saw how painful that could be. Um, because you've put a lot of money, a lot of time into it. You know, there's a lot of like prestige around, oh, you're an actor. Maybe you've come from a small town and you're the one that went to drama school. You know, letting, shedding all that's really painful and difficult. So it's something I think people should question. I think the fact times I find it difficult is I, I question it sometimes because of the practices and some of the things that go on in the industry that I find difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's quite a lack of consideration and care for actors and a lot of the time things are improving things conversations being had but I mean it's so tough to have the resilience to cope with the way the industry works and those are the times when I you know those are the dark moments when I question can I can I deal with this can I deal with never hearing back from that self-tape for the 18,000th time yeah can I deal with going into that casting room and feeling like dirt on someone's shoe you know <laughs> my mum said and she might listen to this so hi mum I remember my mum saying to me once that I uh, she was worried my heart was too soft for this industry and I was angry at first but she's right in a way like it it's very bruising um, but equally I do think actors should be open and vulnerable and wear their heart on their sleeve so it's a really fine line that so I think actors have to be simultaneously totally vulnerable and exposed but also able to sort of wear like steel armor when necessary in order to sustain themselves so it's a really hard line I mean who who is the right person for that industry you know it's, it's really yeah. challenging yeah uh you need to be able to do both and have walk strongly in both those mindsets so it's yeah yeah it's a really good way of putting it I've never thought about it in terms of if you don't question it maybe you're not in the right industry but yeah you're you should be curious you should be sort of yeah questioning and yeah how do you bring the truthfulness and the vulnerability whilst also making sure that mentally you know rejection after rejection is not crushing you and breaking you to a point where you're like no I can't do this anymore absolutely or you can't have a life or you can't go on holiday or go to someone's weddings I mean you know as you get down in your life like those things get harder and I think I you might you know have relationships and commitments that acting pulls you away from and you have to start going okay well at what point you know what sacrifice am I happy to make here mm-hmm. um but I do think things are changing on that front and I think people are starting to understand in general I think in the world people start to understand like work-life balance and, and how that's more important yeah you know I think the the kind of expectation when I became an actor was that you know you don't book holiday and you don't go to people's weddings and that's that's it that's how it is and if you have a kid then you know I think there was that kind of it was unspoken but it was there it's like well if you want to be an actor like that's what it takes mm-hmm. and I think we're moving away from that thank god I think so yeah hopefully <laughs> I don't know why it should be some this sort of like you know self-flagellating I mean it just shouldn't need doesn't need to be like that you know yeah. it, it is a vocation and, and people may feel it's their calling but it's also your job and you should be allowed to have a functioning life and the side of that I believe exactly yeah totally because in what other career would you be told no you can't have a personal life yeah it's really unhealthy and and when I say like you know if it's the right industry for you you've got to be vulnerable it's not that you wouldn't be successful if you're not open and vulnerable mm-hmm. I think many people have become incredibly successful without having to do that but if you're asking me what makes you really good at your craft and who should be in this industry in the sense of who's bringing something artistically interesting then I can I think that's my standpoint on it that you've you've got to be kind of um <laughs> I was talking to my friend the other day and we coined the phrase jelly warrior and uh 
I like that. A jelly warrior. You know, you've got to be a warrior, but also have this kind of jelly inside. I like soft. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were talking about motherhood, but it translates to this as a mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of motherhoods, what's the industry like for a, a new mum? Is, is it getting better? Is it more accommodating now? Or is there still a lot of work that needs doing? That's tough. I mean, obviously, I can only speak to my experience. I am a new mum. And uh, I mean... I haven't had a brilliant experience in the first 15 months. I had some issues around work when I was pregnant. I mean, it's a very difficult situation. Obviously, it changes you physically. And so much of my job has an element of the aesthetic and what you look like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of produce, producers very tentative about things like insurance and having pregnant people on set. You know, we're still very behind on those kind of things. I think actors are very behind on knowing what their rights are. I think agents and casting directors are a little bit not up to date on what pregnancy and caring responsibilities and what the legal rights are of of actors that they get working with. I think there's kind of a, there's a lack of information. You know, like I said before, there's no HR department, there's no policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do we do when one of our employees becomes pregnant? It's all kind of, everyone's just finding their own way with it and sometimes bad practice happens because people don't want the inconvenience of having to shoot around a pregnant actor or bring a baby onto set and allow her to breastfeed because you know then that need new insurance and how do we do that so you know there is a a lack of people are not super willing to Mm -hmm. put themselves out to accommodate that now I'm speaking really generally I've had other people that I've had a great experience with I worked when I was pregnant. I worked at Hornchurch and they were brilliant and I was quite heavily pregnant at that stage and they were absolutely wonderful and I just wore a baggy t-shirt and no one made a fuss about it. Okay. I wasn't treated like an ill person. <laughs> um, but I've also had some other experiences that weren't so positive and I think more famous actresses are doing great work of speaking up and talking about their struggles when they were pregnant and that's what we need, you know, more people with a platform to kind of speak out. Jada Nuka did a, a piece recently where she wrote about some challenges she'd had when she was pregnant. I mean, a lot of the issues are around casting. A lot of the issues are around insurance. And then down the line, you know, the issue becomes childcare because this job is long hours, weekends, last minute, often working away from home, financially unstable. I mean, the whole setup is not super conducive to having a child Mm -hmm. and so you know it really needs some really creative thinking from the industry of how they're going to fix that because the whole setup doesn't really work Mm -hmm. I mean I'm finding my way but it's it's tricky you know you get a self-tape that you've got to do that in your baby's nap or the way they're going to be screaming halfway through it or you know when you're sitting up till midnight editing it with sleepless nights you know and and a crying newborn and you don't have time to get you yourself fit anymore. So how do you maintain maybe like a physique if you're a physical performer? You know, how do you fit that training back in? And all those sort of things. Like, I don't really have like a good answer of what the industry should be doing, but there are a lot of problems to overcome. I felt personally I didn't want my job to stop my desire to have a child. Yeah. So I made that choice. But I made that choice with full knowledge that it might be deaf to my career. And... There's been times when I've worried about that. Mm-hmm. I think enough people are making steps forward. I mean, if I can mention Pippa, who are an organisation who are um, parents in performing arts, they're trying, they've created kind of a, a set of working practices and they work with buildings and companies to try and ensure they understand how to support caregivers and parents. So there's, there's organisations like that. So, you know, there are people trying to make steps forward. And also there's productions, I should say, you know, um, I went to see a play called Mum at the Soho when my child was really small. And it was a play about becoming a mother. Uh, and it's um, Morgan Lloyd Malcolm's play. And it was a special baby performance. And it was so amazing to go to the theatre with my baby and be able to watch theatre. Because one of the things... I'd never even thought about was once you have a child, you're sort of excluded from your own industry by the fact that you can't go and see anything. In general, like theatre's totally closed to you unless you've got childcare. My husband works nights, so I suddenly felt really excluded and 
really start to understand the, the word inclusion. It's not till you're mm. excluded from something you understand how inclusivity is important. And I wept at the end of this play because it felt so wonderful to be in that room and be invited into that space. But I'd never experienced something so powerful because I suddenly was allowed back into my tribe, back into a building that I have a connection to. And I, it was really powerful. It was really brilliant. And um, buildings like, I think, Cluid and the RSC, they let you take your kids if you get a job there. And there are people making steps to do uh, job shares. I know that is really challenging as an actor because obviously it costs them a lot more money to employ too. But there's calls for that. And I went to see a show recently where the directors had job shared, two women had job shared it because they both had kids. Okay. And I thought that was really interesting. And I talked to them at length about that because I think there are ways around it. But I mean, it's, it's going to take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. It will take cost more money. But I think we have to be leading the way on that. You know, we can't be in an artistic space and be less supportive of women than some corporate sectors. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah, Unfortunately, sure. that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot more work to be done, I think. Yeah, like you said, amazing that these spaces are starting to exist more. Because, yeah, I maybe naively or whatever I sort of hadn't thought about the fact that obviously work-wise it's you know more difficult to get jobs with a more limited schedule obviously having a kid but yeah being excluded from even from even watching what you're used to doing and you know then it affects your personal life and your work life because it's like as a audience member and as a performer absolutely like it's been really a blessing to me that a lot of people have kept streaming stuff after covid and it made me, you know, it just really makes you realise, like, people with accessibility issues, people with, you know, financially unable to go to the theatre, mm-hmm. but want to be involved in the industry. I was kind of against streaming at first, but actually, no, because now I'm someone who can't leave the house all the time. Like, I still can touch base with what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and I do love the fact that buildings are making shows inclusive for mothers. But, yeah, it, it's... It is completely limiting. You know, I can no longer look at a long tour or um, a really nice part in Bolton or, you know, I mean, unless you're going to drag baby with you, which people do, and there's no judgment on that, but for me, the effort of that sort of outweighs any benefit of doing the job. And, you know, theatre as well, the money's too low. I mean, Mm. I can't remember what the equity minimum is right now for 80 or something as we're speaking, maybe. Um, for for, t- for theatre and childcare is you know seventy five to ninety pounds a day. So you're just not making anything. You we're working at a loss. So yeah. you know there's a huge set of, of barriers once you have a child to kind of continuing in the industry. And mm. I wasn't blind to that, but I hadn't really understood the depth of how challenging it would be. Yeah. However, I'm doing it, and I would always, always say that if someone wanted to have a family, they should never put it off because there are ways around it. People are becoming more open to having conversations about how they can support you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only going in a good direction. Yeah, for sure. And to sort of jump back to what we were talking about earlier, like your job should not affect your personal life so much. So it's, yeah, it'd be a shame if people were there like, okay, well, I don't want my career to have to be put on hold so that's why I'm waiting to have a family like it's mm-hmm. yeah you should be able to do both and I definitely waited I definitely wait I was waiting until I was more established I was waiting until I'd had a big job I mean I think I made a joke to my husband of I'll wait well, when I've got to the national and then I did got a job <laughs> at the national I was like oh damn now now I've got now I've got to do it but you know it was a sense of what what is the end point when, when am I going to feel like oh I've done enough or I'm successful or I, I am an actor enough yeah. that I can stop and take what I knew would be a hiatus and eventually I came to the decision within myself that like it's not that kind of career and so you'll never feel like okay right I've made it now and and I think that you know I'm speaking for even people I know who've been super successful that never happens because you always just go rung up the ladder and then you're still looking up so there won't be probably that moment where you go oh I've made it now I can take a pause Mm -hmm. you just go do it when it's right for you yeah if it's right for you Mm-hmm. yeah I'm starting starting to learn that as well <laughs> once you've done one yeah it's okay on to the next one it's... absolutely I mean my most successful friends like you know they it almost gets worse because as you get the, the, the bigger hit from something with more profile or you know Netflix or whatever mm-hmm. then it's like well, what's next you know and I've had many friends who've done movies big parts and then gone back to temping and, and the reality is that's how it goes maybe not for everyone maybe for the 1% but you know in general that's how it goes so you 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 shouldn't 
in my opinion, be putting your life or your happiness or your well-being on hold for this job. Yeah. Because it's uh, chaotic and unpredictable, and I think that way madness does lie. You've you've got to just kind of put your happiness first. And for sure. The work will probably come along more and be better for it if you're yeah. in a good place. Yeah. When would you say that your inner voice talks the most? I think. Joanne, that's what we're calling her. Uh-huh. I think she's pretty loud in castings. Okay. Uh, not that in live castings are happening too often these days. They're obviously a lot more self tapes. But yeah, she's pretty she's pretty loud in a casting room. Oh, actually, just after, the, in the sort of following thirty minutes after the casting, that's when that's okay. when she's pretty chatty. <laughs> uh, I'm usually quite. I love. I actually really enjoy in person meetings. I, I hate self taping because I really like the the connection of a meeting. Mm-hmm. That's part of what we do. So I think it's a real loss, actually, that, that rooms are not opening up as much. Uh, but I do think that, yeah, those sort of 10 minutes after a meeting when you walk out and you play it back and you think, oh, God, why did I say that? Or I didn't get that. Why didn't I mention that? Or, uh, you know, that's when a lot of self-doubt creeps in for me. And I'm not sure that's if that's got worse or better or just stayed the same. And obviously, it usually absolutely has no correlation with whether you got the job or not. I mean, one of my first, like, big TV roles, I'd actually, like, thrown up on the way to the meeting, was, like, half an hour late. Oh, God. And had to... <laughs> was in such a state. I remember thinking that was the worst thing. You know, it was half an hour late. They were, like, ringing my agent, asking where I was. I was so humiliated when I got there. I looked dreadful. And then, you know, got the job. So uh, there Amazing. is never a correlation between how you think it went and how it went. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that's when my self-doubt most creeps in. And actually, I'll be honest with you, when I got pregnant, like, it actually shed, I shed a lot of that. Okay. I don't know if it was COVID or sort of the thought of becoming a parent, but I actually feel I've become much better at advocating for myself and tolerating less crap. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you have less time. So you, you you have time for it. Yeah. Um, you have less energy to put towards it. So you kind of have to be very economical with how you expend that energy. And, you know, overly worrying about things in the way I used to. There's no room for that in my life anymore. So in a weird way, Joanne's got quite a lot quieter since becoming a parent. Okay. You know, there's, things, there's elements where you lose confidence. You, mm-hmm. have, you know, body image is a really difficult thing. Your body changes and... You know, the roles you go up for change, definitely. And there's an element of that that brings a bit of, like, low confidence maybe sometimes to to you. But in general, I do think becoming a parent sort of made me a little bit stronger and a little bit more... I'm not maybe an activist, but, like, it does sort of empower you because you're suddenly... You know, your whole perspective shifted. And this is no longer the most important thing in my life. And my child is. So... Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of healthy. Yeah. In, in a way, I'm like, I should have done this earlier. It's kind of a healthy thing to be like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's this is really important. I'm really committed to it. But I, it's no longer kind of the beginning, the end of everything. And I, I felt really ready in my life to kind of not have that at the forefront. And I've enjoyed it. Amazing. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm really glad that that's been the case. I'm not I'm saying that, you know, everyone should go and have a kid. It's also really hard. <laughs> but I just mean, it's been interesting to me that actually it's quietened down some of the self-doubt mm-hmm. because there just isn't space for it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it before that was sort of, why would it be the half hour afterwards that Joanne would talk the most? <sighs> I think it's just the not knowing, isn't it? It's the not knowing how that's gone. Did mm-hmm. they like you? Did they think you're an idiot? It's mm-hmm. going into a room to try and impress somebody. Yeah. And then walking away with no sense of what they thought of you. And that's really exposing. Like most people have one job interview and they're like flawed. I've got many friends that don't work in the acting industry. And they'll have like one job interview and they're like, anxiety is through the roof. I mean, sometimes I've done that like three times a week. I mean, remember one week I had six auditions. I'm not Damn. humble bragging, but I was on my knees. To have that kind of resilience to walk into each room like, hey, you want me, is really hard. And it was too much. Yeah. It was too much to lot. expose yourself like that again and again and again with no feedback of how that had gone. You know, most people go for a job and they get a call the next day. Yeah. You know you're not getting that. Mm-hmm. You know that what you've got to do is just park it. Yeah. And that's easier said than done. 
Yeah. Especially if you've made a clangor or said something awful or, <laughs> you know, not been able to get out the door, which I've done a few times, or just said something weird as you're leaving because you feel like you've got to fill the silence. You know, those are the things that play on your mind because there's no feedback. And I think it's a real problem. And now self-tapes are like the ultimate in that. Yeah. You know, you're just sending things to the ether like, is anyone watching this? Is any, yeah. what are, they, are they laughing about it? You know, if you let that image in of like maybe three casting directors sitting around having a cup of tea laughing at your tape, which I'm sure must happen. I mean, you would never do it again. You can't yeah. let that in. You have to be like so <laughs> mentally strong to just be like, send that off. And I won't even think about the fact that some another human that I don't know is going to sit and watch that. I mean, if you really let that in, it's so exposing. You, you sort of can't go there. Mm-hmm. But of course, the ego is, you know, you're questioning everything. So it's just the not knowing, which is why I think like campaigns like the Yes No campaign that they actioned quite a lot through sort of COVID as well of, you know, casting directors letting people know. You know, I really feel that's lost a bit of momentum now. And I'm. it's so important to people's mental health I can't stress it enough it's about mental stability it's about being able to have closure on something and move to something else yeah and I wish and I hope more can be done around that because for me it's that not knowing that drives people away from the industry I think it just Mm. makes people feel they can't that insecurity that whole atmosphere of insecurity to me is not sustainable yeah it feels like a losing battle a lot of the time because even if they say, you know, it's kind of a rarity that someone will say, oh, we'll be in touch within the week and let you know either way. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of things you apply for will say like, oh, because of the volume we're expecting, like we can only let you know if it's a yes. Mm-hmm. So then if it is a no, you're just sat waiting until whatever, you know, date you decide is, I guess this is the cutoff point. I guess I'm not hired then. I mean, I honestly, even my agents are fantastic. I, sometimes they can't get an answer. And that's a shame because I think it's an etiquette that's just been allowed to happen and it's really fixable. We work in a technological age where sending out a templated email just to everybody saying, sorry, didn't go your way. Yeah. I'm not asking for detailed feedback. I'm not even sure like super detailed feedback is always that constructive. I mean, you've got to remember this, like when I, (laughs) when I started, like people would like courier scripts, like the speed of things was so much slower everything is so fast now mm-hmm. you know the speed and the pressure which we're working under yeah. is is higher than ever the expectation on the actor is higher than ever you've got to be a producer an editor you've got to pull friends in i mean i don't know what people who live alone do now with self-tapes the demands on you are so high that then the not knowing mm. is cruel is pretty cruel i think now we're working a lot for free yeah. and it's draining people out so i think that's something that we need to work on to sort of help with that self-doubt that doubt will always be there what we do is always exposing you know you mm-hmm. always walk out for casting and go oh my god what did I say <laughs> or that was awful but there could be a way of helping that for sure yeah and like you said especially with the technology you know it's it's easier now as well to let people know quickly it, it, there just should be some kind of industry standards I mean there's many things that should be industry standards <laughs> there aren't really any standards that are upheld everyone is kind of doing things Mm -hmm. differently and that's part of the problem but yeah it's that that self-doubt for me is always after a casting I suppose now watching it watching a tape back that's always horrible that's when you doubt you might have felt like it went really well but then you've got to watch it and edit it yourself you know Joanne's having a riot then (laughs) you've got to watch yourself back I mean that's not that didn't used to be my job yeah how am I supposed to sort of have an, an unbiased opinion on my own performance like that I mean, it's like acting into a mirror. It's an Mm. absolute no-no. You shouldn't be doing that. I mean, it makes you self-conscious. Yeah, for sure. So we're having to work in a totally different way. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. It's really tricky. And yeah, it's hard not to sort of look at a self-tape as well and be like, oh, do I pick the one that, you know, maybe I look a bit better in? Of course. You know, you start judging it based off things that you should never be picking a self-tape because of. I did one the other day and it was really good tape. I was really pleased with it. It felt good and uh, I watched it back and I just got like a mascara smudge through the whole thing and I was like, I can't send it. (laughs) And I mean, it was the best work, but I couldn't send it because uh, I I, I couldn't stop looking at the mascara smudge. 
irrelevant I should have just sent it mm. but I mean it's really hard to turn that off yeah once Joanne's clocked it it's oh, then it's there and yeah. that's all you're going to think about yeah. and you're like oh my god they're going to zoom in on that and I look crazy <laughs> and it's um, it is an industry that takes you on what you look like then there's no two ways about it and especially mm-hmm. with self-tapes a lot that is a, a lot of how they're making decisions mm-hmm. so yeah there's it's really difficult to shut up that voice at the moment we, we've been asked to do more than ever and I think the voices are probably louder for many actors than they've ever been yeah yeah do you find it harder being a woman in the industry have you ever experienced any kind of sexism within the industry or does that affect confidence as well I mean I think being a woman in general if you haven't experienced sexism it would be a miracle I think it's almost so ingrained in us that we probably don't always notice it. I think when I started, I was in a lot of rooms of men, a lot of middle-class white men. That's still the case. Those mm-hmm. rooms, are, those people are often the gatekeepers of rooms. It's very much changing. Like, I'm working in more female spaces, a lot more female directors or female-identifying directors. That's, I mean, that wasn't super commonplace 10 years ago and I think it's wonderful that those things are changing we're also getting people from you know different cultures different backgrounds running buildings and running theatre companies and directing films and that's all wonderful and it's only gonna create better stories that we're telling and create more interesting and diverse environments to make work in so I mean I think that that's all getting better but yeah sure I've sat in rooms and felt maybe my opinion wasn't as respected or, you know, slightly talked over or maybe infantilised, especially as a younger woman as well and a younger mixed-race woman. I think that that just happens. But it happens in your life so often you probably don't notice it. I mean, I think any woman in any industry would feel like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah. I do feel it's there's been a massive shift in the last decade mm-hmm. of who's running... And it, this is what it's about. This is all about the gatekeepers. This is about people who are in charge. Who's in charge of the theatres? Who's in charge of the film set? That's what filters down to actually make a difference. Definitely, definitely. What about the industry would you say gives you that drive? Um, I really like that question. Um, When I'm feeling it, when I'm feeling the drive, which isn't always, what I've found now is the stuff that really gets me going is new writing, new work, things that actually give a voice to someone who might not have a voice or are telling a story about the world that I've never heard before or I think people should hear. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me sound like I'm super noble. I don't mean that at all. I just... I was really lucky when I started that. I did a lot of things. I did a big musical with my first job in the West End that had like a big cult following. And I thought that'd be like a dream job. But there were many elements of it I didn't under, I didn't enjoy. What was it? What was the first job? Um, I did Spring Awakening in the West End and amazing yeah it was a big show it was like it was a big people were sleeping in the streets to go and see it but you know I went straight from drama school into the West End it was like and I guess that opened some doors for me but it also caused some problems for me because I think my expectation was that that was the pinnacle I'd reached it and actually Mm -hmm. there was lots of things about that job I didn't enjoy I didn't particularly enjoy the way that with that kind of musical that's transferred from another place there's an element of like, one, you need to sort of copy the staging of the original and it's almost like lifted from, you know, you're not creating it from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I found that really frustrating because um, I'd just been to drama school and I wanted to use all these cool tools that I'd just learned, you know, mm-hmm. and I had loads to offer and why couldn't I do it my way? <laughs> but that's just not how it works. There was also quite a, for want of a better word, like hierarchical structure in, in the way that I was a swing cover, so I wasn't a lead. And in a musical, that's different. You Mm -hmm. know, that's a different structure than I was used to. That's quite challenging at times. So there was, you know, I I kind of had this job that I thought, oh my gosh, this is like amazing. But it didn't sort of, it didn't fulfill me internally. And it took some time for me to work out why that was. Mm -hmm. And I've been really lucky that I've been able to do different things, musicals and some film and some television and some really grassworks workshops with like new writing and make friends with writers and it's taking me time to kind of cherry pick from those jobs what I loved Mm -hmm. and what I really love is working with writers that's the stuff that drives me some of my happiest jobs have been like you know a piece that I did in Glasgow with two other fantastic actresses who are now brilliantly successful but what was brilliant about it was like 
no one even no one I knew saw it but we were just given like freedom to play and we worked with the writer and it was about um a woman called Nora Nayak Khan who was a spy a Muslim spy in World War II for, for, for Britain and it was just a fascinating project and we got total free reign to play and there was no pressure on who's going to see it what review it was just creatively like so fulfilling and I don't know why I'm picking that out of all the jobs it was like three weeks of my life but you do those little things and you go okay what is it about that that really yeah really got me buzzing and I've recently been working on a workshop with um a sort of community element that that I found really satisfying because you know it feels like it might be work that makes a difference mm-hmm. and that's really rare I mean at its best I think our industry is telling stories that could really create change or at least shift people's perspectives I mean I think that's what that'd be my sort of goal in life I guess is to do work that makes an audience do that makes them question themselves have some self-reflection yeah I think that's what we need more in this world in general empathy mm-hmm. and self-reflection and I think it is best all theatre can be like that it is worst we can be performing into an echo chamber of just other industry professionals or rich people who can afford a ticket and that that doesn't motivate me anymore mm-hmm. and that's so important as well to kind of figure out what it is about each job that gives you that sort of fire and mm-hmm. and why like you said the bigger job maybe wasn't as fulfilling as some of the smaller ones you've done but yeah and it was a fantastic show like I just want to speak to that like Spring Week was a fantastic show it was beautiful it was really groundbreaking in many ways but just for me I, I'd had an expectation that kind of going into the West End would be everything I'd, I'd ever want from work but just for me what I like working on is working on those jobs where I feel like it's really fresh and raw and we're, we're telling a story that's kind of urgent and immediate. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Amazing. If you could give some advice to your younger self, firstly, what would that be? I think I would tell myself to not be so afraid of taking risks and not be so afraid of the kind of gatekeepers, not put the casting directors and the directors in the artistic directors on such a pedestal I think it's best this work should always be collaborative and it should feel like more peer-to-peer than it Mm -hmm. often does and you've always got something useful to offer you whoever you are has something to offer and I had something to offer and I was always quite afraid to own that and I wish I'd been more bold and brazen to ask for stuff and just be less afraid of upsetting people Mm -hmm. or you know being a bit of an inconvenience. I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I started with. I'm sorry to bother you, but I mean, just delete that, Mona. Don't, what are you doing? You know, you're not bothering them. You've got something to offer. And it's taken me really till my 30s to sort of start, just start to, to feel comfortable with that. Yeah. I think people, everyone respects that. Everyone respects somebody who's like, I'm, this is who I am and I'd be really like to work with you. Mm-hmm because I really like this. And as long as that's coming from a kind of educated and genuine place, you know, it's not all about just, oh, you're famous and I'd like to work with you. Mm-hmm. I just think people like that. People like to receive an email saying, I loved your show and not just blanket, but like, what did you love about it? Write mm-hmm. it, tell them. Yeah. Connect with them. If you really went to see something in the theatre and you absolutely loved it and it really struck a chord with you or the design of it find that person it's easier than ever social media and just tell them and I think I wish I'd just been more I think I wish I'd just been more front foot with that and not been afraid of kind of putting myself out there mm. it's a bit long-winded yeah. answer isn't it but no no I I struggle with all of that as well sort of feeling like yeah like I've got to wait until until when <laughs> I don't know but yeah, yeah. You've, you've got to feel like you've oh wait, I need to a bit more foot in the door first yeah, yeah. before I can approach said person or whatever and it's because there's so many actors and we're made to feel like that and we're made to feel like that from the beginning of our training you know you apply to a drama school then you might get picked and yeah. then you invite people to a showcase and then it's like a cattle market and you might get picked and you know all of that feeds into this culture of actors feeling like well I don't want to bother people and of course these people are busy and whatever but fundamentally people like to they like to be complimented. Mm-hmm. They like to know that people enjoyed their work because everyone in this industry is insecure. Everyone <laughs> is. If you meet someone at a party and you thought they something they did was wonderful, tell them because no one doesn't want to hear that. Just remember that everyone's like you. I suppose that would be that would be the short answer. You know, just because someone works in casting or they're a director or they're running the National Theatre, they've got the same hang-ups as you've got 
and you can talk to them on the level because they are just people yeah and I wish I'd been more confident to do that nice and what advice would you give to sort of keep Joanne or equivalent at bay I found having another side career that I feel uh, I've always had side jobs I've had to have side jobs financially whatever that is temping for years uh but finding and developing another I would say career so I do work in corporate sectors mainly or private sector businesses doing like coaching and communications training now I first did that for money it's well paid and they want they want actors but this, the consequence of doing that is that I've built this sort of second career where I feel like I've got loads of professional integrity and you sort of get to your thirst and you sort of really start craving that. And I think that's really helped keep Joanne at bay because in that job, there is feedback and it's been really helpful to just have another job where like I can feel a sense of achievement and growth Mm-hmm. and I can also like I mean, the first job I ever did I was so nervous and one of the other coaches pulled me aside and she's like why are you so nervous I was like I just you know I don't know what I'm doing here I don't, I'm so you know Joanne was loud and she just went but you're a professional with 10 years experience in your field you know why wouldn't this group of corporate people respect what you've got to say and I'd never considered myself like that I never framed myself as a professional with 10 years experience but I am. There's yeah. been gaps in those experiences in the sense I haven't worked continually, but all of that is experience. And I think mm-hmm. that other job where I feel I've got progression and I've got a real handle on what I'm doing, that's really helped because I think I was doing jobs, and this is really easy for me to say because people listening to this podcast might be doing whatever they can to survive. And I know how that is. I used to work temping all day and then run to waitress at night. So this has taken me time to establish this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's taken me a decade. Um, Some of those jobs were actually diminishing my self-esteem more. Okay. And that was really feeding in, I think, to how I was as an actor. Ah, okay. And making Joanne maybe a little louder. It was a moment moment when I rang a friend crying because, and I don't mind calling her out, uh, (laughs) someone I was working in an office with had shouted at me because I put the chairs out wrong. And I was really sobbing. And my friend on the phone was just like, this isn't your job. Like, why are you letting this in? But I realised that because it it was my life, I was spending a lot of time in an environment that made me feel quite small. And so I had to stop that. So I quit temping and I just didn't have a job, which was really scary because I have a very supportive family, but I didn't have financial buffer really. So it was, but I had to do, I had to part that because it was making that internal voice really loud. Mm -hmm. When I got to the casting room, Got you. Yeah, so doing something that gives me confidence in my day job hustle has really helped. Yeah. And I think it's 1% of actors that work only as actors. I think that yeah. is the statistic. It's 1%. And having less shame about that. You know, director and I work with called Derek Bond did a great article about that as a director that he had another job and that directors never talk about that. They don't. They don't talk about it. But loads of them have other jobs. And we shouldn't be ashamed of having other jobs because how on earth would you sustain this, particularly if you're a London-based actor, how on earth would you sustain yourself here? Oh, God, so expensive and, yeah. like, the most unstable Absolutely. <laughs> job. Yeah. And I actually think it's really good to have another job in the sense that it keeps you from losing yourself in the industry you know you, yeah. but it should be another job that I think builds you as well and I didn't really understand that for a good mm. 10 years and I didn't have a lot of choice you know I just took stuff that was flexible but it's it's the absolute golden dream to find the job that's flexible pays well and makes you feel good about yourself and I found that now but it took a lot of work to get that you I know mean, if you have another skill podcasting or (laughs) sewing or whatever it is if you can utilize that and monetize that and it brings you some joy and some confidence then I think that's a really good way and and don't feel that's going to pull you away from acting because although it might time wise I think in a way it also means that you'll probably sustain yourself as an actor much longer that's such a good point yeah because I'd never really thought about it in that way like it's it's nice creatively to have this side project and something that I'm also doing where you know if the acting jobs aren't coming it's nice to have something creative to yeah. put my time and energy into and that you're, yeah. cl- you're clearly good at and like the people enjoy being part of and enjoy listening to and that you're doing something that's valuable Thank I mean that's you. Yeah, you are and it's a really important thing and I think one of the things we discussed before this you know is like do, did I mind talking about these things 
No, and it's really, really important. And it's mm. really important people in our industry talk about it more. Um, there's too many cases of people having you know, mental illness around this industry. And also people leaving, really good people leaving because they can't sustain themselves in this industry. So, you know, the more conversations we have, the more good people will retain, the better the industry will be for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think things are going in the right direction. I do want to end on a hopeful note because I do think they're going in the right direction, but there is work to be done. But people yeah. like yourself are making a really you know, great impact by just, just having the conversation in the first place. Thank you. And thank you so much for agreeing to be on it and for having me around today. And yeah, it's, it's, it feels really fulfilling to talk about this sort of stuff. It's a pleasure. And it's a pleasure to meet like graduates like yourself who are doing these things and creative projects. Because if I had any last nugget of advice it's to make things do things create things it's never been easier to do that now uh, with technology film yourself create something anything let it be bad let it be good it doesn't <laughs> matter just make things yeah to be a maker you have to have no ego about that because the only way you'll get better is by doing it you'll never be able to be perfect at your first yeah. attempt and of course that's obvious but it's really really hard no it's really hard do. it's really hard not to be a perfectionist and like damn that sound quality could have been a tiny bit better and it's like yeah but still release it release it yeah. because it will have some worth to someone so and it's certainly been really valuable for me to have a conversation with you today that's a lot of food for thought for me really and i'll go away and have a little chat with joanne yes please do <laughs> have a word with her i will <laughs> Thank you so much, Mona, for your time and your warmth and for that gorgeous, gorgeous chat. I have included a link to Pippa, that's Parents in Performing Arts, in the bio of this episode for anyone wishing to check them out. And I will also share the link on all of my social media platforms as well. I'd also like to say a massive thank you to Stephen Sobel and Amy Sayers, All In Actors, for your continued support, to Odin Ornhill marson for the wonderful music, and to all of you for listening, have a great week, and if that negative inner voice pipes up, don't let them win.